Hi everyone, it's Wilka here. I am the host of the Leadership Talks. And today I have Simon Mandy. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, especially after Easter weekend. I'm doing oh my goodness. How was it for you? Oh, very relaxing. You know, spent time with the family, did a few chores at the house. Summer is coming, you know, very close. And uh, a little bit of gardening. That's one of my... Uh, pleasures of life that I love doing. You know? Oh my gosh, I need to get some tips with you. <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime, anytime. But Simon, besides gardening, um, I know you're a leader in the hospitality industry yes. and I wanted to hear from you. Um, if you want to share, introduce yourself, you know, to the listeners here of the podcast. Yes, my name is Simon Mendy. And uh, as you rightfully said, I'm in the hospitality industry. And uh, I've been in it since uh, during my college days. And right now I'm the divisional president for Inbridge Hospitality. If anybody knows about the hospitality business, it's the largest third-party management company in the world. And uh, happy to be part of the team and uh, managing and leading a significant count of uh, hotels and the amazing people, really, that I'm working with and I'm lucky to be part of. Excellent. Well, welcome to the show. And, you know, I wanted to hear about your career. Um, when did you start? You said since college, but wh where, you know, I wanted to hear like the city, the state, the country. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the United States for sure. And it was in Colorado, in Denver. And I was a student, uh, first year in college. And I was like, I need some money. You know, <laughs> money, you know, to take care of myself. So, uh, one of my good friends, I saw one hotel and said, "I think you should go apply over there." And I did, and I ended up getting a front desk job. You know, which is a whole story about how I got the job. But anyways, I got the job. You know, and um, since then, um, as I transitioned, as I grew, I completed my education year after year. I kept on growing in the industry too, in the same company. So in that same company from front desk, I got promoted, elevated all the way to regional director and then got assigned upon graduation, getting my master's degree in finance, I uh, transferred to California. So I oversaw Southern California area all the way to Southern LA. And it's been one of the most fantastic uh, experience I've had. No, whoever knows LA, LA and uh, HR, is a whole different state. You might even want to say it's a whole different country, you know. So that was a highlight for me. And then from there, our newest CEO tapped me to be the vice president for training standards, uh, guest relations, and to get our company really to rewrite all our policies to get us ready for IPO. So I moved to North Carolina from San Diego. So uh, in North Carolina, it was also another great experience getting that work done. After that, uh, they needed help in the operations side. Took me back, uh, took me there as SVP of operations, publicly traded company. Uh, had a fantastic team. That's just a bunch of just professionals. Very effective. I mean, they just killed it. And uh, that earned me a promotion to be the EVP to replace the COO of the company. Uh, in North Carolina. And most recently, about four years ago, I decided to join Ambridge Hospitality and it's been a ride since then. So 
Wow. Uh, uh, for my trajectory, my journey, and it's been an amazing experience for me. Wow, that was a quick, uh, you know, recap of uh, how many years now in the industry? I would say 15 to 20. No, 20 plus. 20 plus? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, since college, since college, you know. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so 99 to now. Wow, wow, that's amazing. But uh, one thing that I, I heard you say, it's like you had an amazing team, an amazing team. And every time that you got promoted, you had an amazing team behind you. So that speaks a lot to your leadership style. Um, so what would you say, you know, um, to the listeners that are interested in growing in the industry today, uh, you know, past COVID era, right? What would you um, highlight as a suggestions and tips? I think, first of all, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Secondly, hire really good people at what they do. And uh, you would be amazed about the results you generate. It shows your leadership. It shows your effectiveness as a leader and you'll be able to drive the business. But I think what's more important is listen to your team and cater to their needs. Give them the tools and resources to be able to do their job. When you do these things, you put yourself in a very good position to be successful and to be able to achieve your goals as a company and also as a leader. But I think one of the things that I always say, if you are a junior lead supervisor or a general manager out there listening to this, I'll tell you always, remember this, the day your people stop working for you is the day you lose your job. I think it's a somber advice, but it's a reality. Because in some cases, uh, when you're a manager, sometimes you get in a little bit over your head, you become a little bit attractive, uh, dis uh, distracted, and uh, you start really, not really working in collaboration with your team not being supportive, but actually commanding and telling them what to do. You should actually work with your team. Don't do things to them, do it with them. And when you do that, I think you've really cultivated a culture of leadership that's beyond measurable and people listen to you and they look forward to your leadership. And I think you will be successful. Amazing. So work together, right? Side by side. Do you, Simon, that, do you have any um, examples or any experience uh, that you have used this, you know, that you worked side by side and you helped your team, you know, achieve the next step uh, that you would like to share today? Yeah, I mean, uh, lots of things come to mind, but I think first of all is really making sure in the first step for me always is to put people in the right role so that they'll be successful. I don't believe so. We have several hotels, right? And in the hotel hierarchy, you have the general manager, of course, as the leader, but you have assistant general managers and other supervisors for different departments, right? And these are all, I see them as bench to replace the GM. And in some cases, we fall into the trap of promoting the next person or the person who's been the longest in that position that they deserve to be the next manager. And I think that should be qualified against if they actually would be the most suitable person in the role. One, they have the leadership traits to be successful in that role. And third, that you've prepared them to be successful in the role, to be ready for it. 
Because if you don't think on all of those three things and you put the individual in the role, you've set them up to failure. And what happens is they struggle in the role. They may not be able to recover. They lose the confidence of their team and then they fail. And when that happens, they either quit or you terminate them. And in both circumstances, even if you end up demoting them, they never stick. And if they stick, there is really a bad energy because they've lost a leadership position. Not a lot of people can handle that. So you never win in those circumstances. So I think over time, I've worked with my leaders to make sure that we're identifying potential. We're actually developing that potential and we're resourcing that potential to prepare them for that opportunity. That's one. Two is the next layer is to make sure you align people with the appropriate job so that that fits because every job doesn't fit for everybody. You have to make sure that that individual fits the role, but then that individual also could be a great leader for that group that they oversee or the account that they'll be responsible for. All of those things need to match. So it's almost like a perfect relationship or a perfect combination. And when that happens, now you've put the individual in that position where they can thrive. That's two. The next piece is really the, the item of us, we are working on diversity because with diversity, you can almost expect great results. I believe in it. And it's always the case. It's always I think I think part. this team here with diversity, you know, <laughs> is working pretty well. I'm doing my happy dance already. <laughs> that's correct. That's correct. You know, I, I agree to that. And with diversity, I can tell you, brings in some unique opportunity and outcomes, potentials. But in the pursuit of the diversity, some of the executive team or leaders that make those decisions make a mistake of creating background of saying, we want this individual to fit. We have to find somebody that fits. And you gotta be careful with that because for example, I'll give an analogy. If you see a beautiful fish, right? And you love that fish and uh, it, it, the color is right. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful fish. You want it. You bring that fish to your home and you put it in a, it's a saltwater fish and you put it in freshwater tank. Guess what's going to happen to that fish? <laughs> it will die. You know, it is the same fish. It is the same beautiful fish. But guess what? the condition and the situation or the environment you put it in doesn't align with what brings the best out of them. They don't survive in that environment. So respectively, using that same analogy, if you intend to diversify and change your leadership diversity, you need to make sure that you make adjustments to make that individual joining your organization to be to almost find some similarities in the environment in which that makes them thrive. One, of course, they would also adjust because they're joining in a new organization, but it shouldn't be one-sided. And in most cases, it's been one-sided where people don't feel like they belong. And when they don't feel like they belong, trust me, the transition is gonna be hard and you can almost count on the lack of longevity because they would leave. Because the feeling of belonging is not for you to interpret, it's for the individual to interpret. Oh my gosh, I love this. You know, the feeling of belongs not for you to interpret yeah. it is for the individual. I love this. Absolutely. So here, um, Simon, 
do you yes. have um also you know because i love this topic of diversity and inclusion and you know now it's really trendy really popular everywhere right but I, i've been a latina woman in the united states for quite some time not just you know since this term became trendy and you right. being a black man in the united yeah. states since you were born so you know explain to me simon um have you felt um any of you know had have you had any challenge that's a better question right have you had any challenge because the color of your skin in uh, corporate america you know i think uh, the issue of race or uh, national origin always exists right and i think in most cases it could be an individual's challenge because they are sensitive to it that they actually are conscious about their difference in the environment in which they find themselves. So of course, as I grew in the ranks of my leadership uh, positions, it's obvious for me to realize that I am probably the only one, right? So that is the piece that has existed for me and has been a reality for me as being the only one. The way, I will, the way I will coin it is that as a leader and being fortunate to be in that position, not fortunate, but finding myself in that position because I've worked hard for it and I feel like, like I deserve to be there. So it's not being fortunate, right? I'm thankful to be there and thankful to God, right, that he got me where I'm at. But I think being there as a leader, my job is to make sure that I become that ambassador of creating a diverse workforce. And so in much as your question was about, have I experienced uh, being an issue of the diversity? No, I think I've been aware of it because I am part of it, right? But my role as a leader is to make sure that I create that diversity. So from making sure there are women in the workforce, developing women in the bench to prepare them for these opportunities that they could be successful, providing a network for them that they know they can speak amongst their peers and get good advice on how they can thrive in their roles and in their future roles, that's evident. Then talking about also making sure that got people from different origins or races, it's important. And as part of a strategic initiative that I've always implemented with my team, you can almost do a before and after. And it's always been a beautiful picture to see. And I can tell you, as I alluded to earlier, there is also there to show this success. But I think if you don't have a strategic plan, and it shouldn't be work, because when it's work, then people get exhausted. And I think you talked about right now where there's a lot of press about it and everybody's doing something, but there's exhaustion already. If you read into it, the most recent uh, conversations is about People are getting tired. It's a lot of work. It's chore, you know, because it's so much emphasis. If you don't believe in it and you invest in it and you trust that this is the right thing to do, it will become a chore that you're forced to do. And that's hard, you know. But if it becomes a natural part of you and they believe in you that diversity works and you just make it a strategic initiative that you continue to source and look for talent as you go on your normal day, it's almost a normalcy, then it becomes easy. Exactly. And I think I used that, you know, when we were talking, um, trying to schedule, you know, this meeting, um, I said, it doesn't need to be February, right? Because we are who we, we are 
365 days of the year. Okay, so we can talk about it, you know, inclusion and diversity all day long. Um, but, you know, I think also in the hospitality, um, what it makes me wanted to chat with more individuals that live on a day to day and develop teams, you know, to assist them and thrive is, you know, I've worked in operations, you know, you came from operations, you know how, you know, abundant right the teams are and like where the background of the people like I remember when I was in New York I shared an office in I was in Queens uh, my yeah. office was with the housekeeper uh, executive housekeeper and she was from China and yeah. I was like every time every day I was trying to learn a new word because I wanted to include them in my world you know since we were sharing offices so right. I think you know it's it's all of the little you know, efforts that you, you take into consideration that make people feel appreciated, um, you know, in the work environment. But, you know, I heard you are very passionate about developing teams, but what would you say that is one or two uh, characteristics of your leadership, you know, that is like when you get on a property, you, you manage that team, you say, I'm going to implement these strategies so we can all be successful together. Well, two things. One is uh, when I visit my businesses, uh, I'm big on connecting with the team. So I, I acknowledge and interact with everybody. <laughs> so my visits are never brief, which is, a, which is sometimes it could be a very big disadvantage because I can never keep a schedule. But <laughs> it's so because, look, these individuals have invested their life and the time and chose you to be where they spend that time. That in itself is humbling. You should be grateful for that privilege because there are many options out there, especially given current circumstances, you know that it's so hard to find staffing. So if they choose to work with your organization and work with you and for you to be part of their team, then I think it's important that when you visit, when you get a chance to interact with them, that they feel like you are there, your presence. So for me, executive presence is very important because that is how you inculcate the feeling of trust, the feeling of belonging, and really your credibility within your team and you do what you promise. That's important. The second piece for me is really, I'm data-driven and I don't make decisions because I got a hunch. I have to back that hunch with data. And not that I'm a fanatic that, you know, data drives everything, not necessarily that, but data can almost prove a lot of things for you because it's part of the diligence process. That way, at least even if you fail, you could explain why you did what you did and what you expected, even though things changed and the results became different. But that's been one of the panacea of my success because in most cases, we hit it because the numbers were just right. And so I think I'm big on data. And uh, I think I always have, again, it's not all my work. I'm just the leader, but there are a lot of smart people doing the real work that makes it work. And I make sure that I do have, so I'm surrounded by people who really are very good at putting all of it together that I can translate it and implement. 
Wow. You know, this, uh, what you just said, you know, I'm data driven. And of course, you know, even if you fail, you have a story to back you up because the numbers are there. Right. So I remember yeah. back on my sales world, you know, in on property days is always like, I'm trying to explain with a huge story why we were so successful in this story. You know, sure. I, I remember once in a budget presentation, they were like, Wilka, just get what you need and show us what is going to be the benefits. And I yeah. said, okay, okay, but I'm telling you, you know, like so excited about all of the background involved, you know, to get to where we needed to be. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, in the end of the day, for me, sales is also about knowing your client, understanding, being there for them. But yeah. most importantly, as well as, you know, honor and know what you're selling don't oversell because you know sometimes when you are in a limited service property you can't just sell the world and it's not going to happen because the operations is going to come along right after you <laughs> what did you promise this person but you know it's it's a beautiful world um so simon one thing that i'm very curious um you know where do you see if you could you know where do you see yourself in a couple of years from now uh let's say you know 5 years from now uh you're going to be um you know still in the united states or maybe back home and then where is home you know if you can share a little bit with us yeah so first of all, part of my background, I didn't share that, but I'm from a tiny little country, but a strong country, beautiful country called Gambia. And uh, it's in West Africa. And uh, that's where I was born. And uh, for college, I came to the United States and uh, it's near and dear to my heart. That's where my, you know, that's where my family is. And uh, so, but uh, five years from now, first of all, I'm on a mission. Uh, on my in my current role and uh, I want to help my organization achieve that strategic goal and I think until that happens I think uh, I would definitely uh, that's where I have my complete focus on right now quite honestly I enjoy what I'm doing and who I'm doing it with and what I'm doing it for so I think uh, that's a very good place to be in as a leader and to find yourself really in that kind of environment. So I'm happy with what I'm doing right now. Overall, I think part of my life mantra is about really impacting people, changing people's lives, affecting them in a great way. Five years from now, wherever I find myself, including being continuing to do what I'm currently doing, I want to say I continue to provide employment. I continue to create new leaders. I continue to impact change, be a change agent in those dynamics and being able to really have an impact on people's lives beyond measurable. If I'm able to do that, I think wherever it is I find myself, I'll be a happy camper, you know, and I mean it wholeheartedly. That's my life mission. That's my purpose. And I think uh, if I can achieve it in any role I find myself in, I think I have internal satisfaction. Well, I, that's a beautiful thing, but I'm going to suggest maybe you can do all of these beautiful things with your family in Brazil, you know, in another location. <laughs> but first of all, I love the suggestion. I have to visit Brazil this year. That's my goal. 
that's my goal. I gotta visit first, but something tells me I can I can live in Brazil. But I have oh, to. me, my, me too. You know, like every time that I go for Christmas now at home, and I'm like, wow, you know, I think I could do this work and overlook the ocean. You know, from my hotel balcony. It's always like in my mind now. It's so funny. Um, you know, and nothing beats the United States too. So it's okay to be able to kind of ferry between the two but it's hard to get away from the United States. Actually, when you said, I was going to mention, you know, about California, your experience there, I'm telling you, oh my God, I love that state so much. And literally when I lived there back in 2015, yeah. um, I made really good friends. And of course, you know, work friends and you know people in los angeles in san diego you know and uh, matter of fact shout out to my dear friend marcelo escudero because we met in l.a uh, he was working in San Diego. I was working in Santa Cruz, like uh, south of uh, San Francisco. And now we both live here in Washington, D.C., you know, and develop the friendship through work. But, you know, it's just uh, also like the, the, the uh, it's something about the people and the ocean, the local, you know, it, it's amazing. And definitely let's not let's not get into the wineries right in California, because then this is another show. <laughs> I totally agree and I think for the weather San Diego is the best I, it doesn't matter where you find yourself in the United States you can't beat San Diego I've lived there for about five to six years and wow. beautiful beautiful city you know beautiful. what I say about San Diego it's like real reminds me of Rio but like you know 10 times better because of the weather it's like that great weather all the time and what it reminds me of Rio so much is there's I always been around so many Brazilians down there so it's like oh my god you know San Diego is I'm also on the lookout as well um but anyway, uh, let's stop about uh, let's stop talking about what I wanted to do in my five-year plan <laughs> Simon, any other tips uh, for, you know, individuals uh, in the new generation of hoteliers joining, you know, our industry? Any final thoughts and words and suggestions for them? Man, um, you know, the, the hotel industry is different. If you were running hotels prior to 2020 and you left, coming back is a whole different there's been a significant shift, right? And But I think some of the things have never changed, which is really how to manage people. It's still the same. And I think also to how to identify an opportunity and take advantage of it. That's really where I want to spend my time to advise anybody. I would say, if you intend to grow, find yourself in an organization where you can grow, from the bottom all the way to the top, I think the hospitality industry is a great place to find a job. I can almost guarantee that. If you have the aspiration and the drive and the willingness to learn and put in the work, trust me. It may be, it may be right for a lot. It may be you can say the same for a lot of other uh, career paths, but the hospitality, that storyline is abundant in my view. But I think what's more important is if you are a new manager or you're about to get an, an a manage, uh, assignment for as a manager, 
don't shy away from the jobs that nobody wants. Because that is the job that changes everything for you. Because in a lot of cases, naturally, people want to go into something that is already has structure, already performing, or the newest hotel, or the best hotel. Well, guess what? It's already the best. So if you go out there, it's expected that you will continue maintaining it as the best. So guess what? The only problem you have is if you ruin it, then you're in trouble. <laughs> but if you go into a hotel that is not the best performing hotel, probably ranked lowest in performance. And can you imagine you change it to be the top 10? You have just cemented your leadership in that organization. You've signed off on your resume because everybody is going to remember you. And that's my advice to anybody out there. Take the jobs that nobody else wants because I wow. think it's going to make you big time. That's for sure. So if you are the worst hotels of the United States after uh, my darling friend Bruce Jordan, <laughs> he has this show. <laughs> The do's and don'ts of hospitality. Another shout out here. But, All you know, right. he says that, you know, like uh, if you can get this, you know, hotels and nobody wants to get to work and change this, you know, you show your leadership and and make sure, you know, the numbers again, you know, the rankings out there. Right. It's not just the numbers, uh, the offset, you know, in terms of. Uh, the bottom line for the ownership, but also in terms of guest reviews, because that's what is going to keep the business coming back to you and, and the approach of, um, you know, enhancing your visibility with any organization. But uh, thank you, Simon, so much for your time today. It's been truly a pleasure. Great to see you. Um, truly, 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 truly grateful uh, for this time today. Um, this is Wilkin Asimento. I am the leadership uh, leadership talks podcast host and this is Simon Manjing with us today. Thank you, Wilka. Always appreciate you. Thank you My so much. My pleasure. Thank you.